Hi, I'm Lucy Adams from Disruptive HR. Welcome to one of our podcast series where you'll hear from HR practitioners who are genuinely doing things differently. If you're looking to change your HR practices, then why not check out the Disruptive HR Club? It's got tons of videos, webinars and downloadable guides that will give you all the ideas and practical help you'll need. Check it out at www.disruptivehr.club. Hello and welcome to another podcast from Disruptive HR, where we talk to people in and around the HR profession who are just doing things slightly differently, who are approaching old problems with fresh and new ideas. And occasionally I get to talk to people who I don't just admire, but who I also really like. And this is one of those occasions. So I'm delighted to welcome Leatham, Leatham Green. So who is the Transformation Director at Oracle, which sounds incredibly impressive, Lethem, Transformation Director of Oracle. Well, well, hello, and thank you so much for inviting me onto your programme. What a oh, retreat. And, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's all about the job title in this world, isn't it? Doesn't it? <laughs> it's so fantastic. I mean, the reality, of course, is always something very different. Um, and it kind of builds you up into something, isn't it? And people wait for you to transform me. I know, I know. I used to have a boss, actually, he used to say to his team, you know, call yourself whatever you want on your business card. Because I think sometimes in HR, we have this obsession with, with reducing people's titles down, don't we? You know, it's like we've got way too many directors or heads of, let's strip it all away. And he used to say, you know, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if it gives you confidence to call yourself transformation director or whatever the equivalent is, go for it. So tell us a little bit about what transformation director at Oracle looks like, and maybe also just give us a, a kind of potted history of how you got to be transformation director. So let's start with the, uh, the plotted history. So my, my career has been spent predominantly in public sector, especially in local government. So I had, uh, gosh, over 30 years working in that sector. So I'm a really a career lifer in terms of a commitment to public service. And uh, one of the key themes that have followed me, and I've done different jobs in in local government, has been a connection with people. Um, So the past 15 years that I was in uh, local government, um, I was an HR director, and I arrived in the space of HR, having been responsible for uh, helping with the implementation of a uh, digital digital transformation program across the council and uh, by chance was asked to take a lead on the change program of that and uh, once that had happened uh, we'd lost our HR director and so I was asked if I would do that for a couple of months in caretake and roll on 15 years and there I was <laughs> in this world of HR. We've all got those on our CV haven't we you know yes. I'm only doing this temporarily and then you find yourself there 10 years on. So my last job in uh, public sector was a program director where we were creating a shared service operation across uh, Surrey County Council, East Sussex County Council and Brighton and Hove City Council. So it was a major uh, kind Mm -hmm. of program of change, one of the biggest shared services in public sector. And of course, you know, these uh, ideas theoretically make perfect sense. Don't they operationally when it comes to the uh, kind of releasing and letting go of um, sovereign Kind of responsibility and uh, and uh, yeah, 
an ability to influence, of course, is a different matter altogether. You know, I mean, it's hard enough implementing shared services in one organization because they're used to having their business partner who probably sits on a desk where they can kind of go up and have a quick chat with them. So the shared service center creation within one organization is hard enough. And you were trying to do it across three. Yeah. And of course, remember, this was before we've had this seismic shift of uh, business transformation, the positive aspect, I would say, of COVID and the lockdown is forcing us to having to work in different ways and exploiting yeah. technology to engage. And whilst geographically, you know, East Sussex, Surrey and Brighton Hove might not be far apart, let's say there's a 60 mile kind of challenge from one end to the other in terms of the journey, I may as well have been in Australia because, of course, you know, transport here is not that easy. And the organisations would not permit, you know, the connection with technology. So a Zoom call, a Teams call was not part of their everyday business. It was kind of alien. So trying to get that operationally to work was difficult. And we weren't just talking about HR. It was HR, finance, legal, IT, procurement, and all of the infrastructure around um, you know, pension, payroll, debtor, and exchequer services. So it was big stuff, you know, 4,500 people in the team, serving 100,000 employees. So it was big business. Massive. So at the end of that uh, period, I decided that I wanted to try and take what I'd learned from that experience and could I apply something into business generally. So I'm a Mm -hmm. big promoter of uh, compassionate leadership. So I set up my own agency called um, Mindful HR and worked still predominantly in public sector, local government, health and higher education, promoting this concept of compassionate leadership to drive forward business change and transformation and putting people at the centre and the heart of all of our decision making. And that was you know, a great success. And uh, then I was asked to join Oracle 12 months ago. It's my birthday this week. Oh, happy birthday. I know. <laughs> so, and of course, it's a you can't imagine, you know, such a difference in terms of 30 years of local government, five years of doing my own thing, and then suddenly joining a global organization, digital company. I mean, it's a big shift. Uh, but what a year it's been. So, you know, the, in, enter this world of transformation director. So, you know, my focus is, is still predominantly public sector, and it's working with um, HR teams and broader executive teams to really start to think and prepare about what does it mean if we're entering into a world of transformation and how can digital and technology help us achieve a better outcome for our employees as well as citizens and local residents. So that's really at the heart of what I do. I'm trying to work with HR professionals to think ahead of the curve. You know, what could that future look like? And at this time of um, Kind of coming out from COVID. I mean, I don't know what you're experiencing, but many of my kind of network are still kind of dealing with just the day-to-day challenge of uh, getting back into business as usual, whatever that looks like. But now, of course, we've got the cost of living crisis, yeah. dealing with the impact, particularly in public sector, with strike action, potentially. Um, there's a huge amount of just day-to-day stuff to deal with. You know, when I'm saying, well, what does that future look like? Finding space and time to be able to give a bit of quality time to think about that is really, really challenging. I don't know whether you're... Well, yeah, I mean, I think to add to that, you know, HR teams facing budget cuts as well that were already close to the bone. You know, it's not like there was a lot of fat there. 
to begin with. So, you know, I think that it is it is quite a, a difficult time. And, and I think, you know, we were talking earlier before we started recording about the fact that, you know, COVID had a long, long tail, didn't it? You know, it wasn't just, oh, it's like it's over. We've got the vaccine. It's all done. The long tail to that. And then and then now, um, obviously, the, the, you know, another financial crisis. So I think, you know, HR teams, I think, are having yet again to be incredibly resilient they are time poor. They are, in some cases, cash poor, and and trying to create the space to do that important thing, which is to take a step back, to reflect, and to enable yourself the the space, the time to think creatively, um, rather than just getting keeping on that treadmill. We see that a lot. So I really wanted to focus in on this whole thing around change. You've done loads of change management yourself or transformation. And I just wondered, what would you say are the, the two or three kind of key learnings for you around change? How to do it, maybe, how not to do it, maybe. But what would be the, the kind of, if you were doing a masterclass on change and transformation, what would be the, the headline points for you? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, isn't it, in terms of what would I distill down to those kind of uh, top three things? Um, the, the first one, without any shadow of a doubt, is about um, having that uh, drive, confidence, or ability. I mean, you often talk about HR being the experts of human beings. Yeah, putting people right at the centre and heart of that uh, that transformation. And, and by don't people, they get lost? Oh, don't they get lost? And, yeah. and we don't mean to lose them. But some, particularly if there's a system element to it, yeah. if it's a new digital or enterprise-wide system, that just gradually draws the focus, doesn't it? Well, I talk about the three Ps. I'm sure other people do as well. But my three Ps are people, process, and platform. And by platform, I mean your technology. Yeah. So we give a huge amount of time generally to the platform and process in business. But when you look at how much time is allocated at that executive level, that senior level to people, mm. um, it's usually pretty light. You know, we might talk about some of the transactional stuff in terms of absence or turnover rate, but what is it that we're really trying to create and generate? And by people, I mean, not just the employees, but also you know, the, the, the service users or customers. So what are we trying to create and generate for that endpoint of people mm. and working back in? Now, those three things, you know, kind of be like a, a three-legged stool, and they need to be in balance. You can't just do two of them and have a great transformation program. So people has got to have equal airtime. I would probably say, you know, if we were doing anything, it needs to turn up the volume of that. Yeah. Um, so it's those three things, putting people at the heart of what we do and making it personal. You've got to create a compelling vision of the future for people, whether that be your employees, but equally your customer if you're going on a journey. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of gives you a bit of hope, isn't it? I can see into the future and I can see where we're going. It might be a bit rocky and, and tricky for me, but, you know, I'm going to help and support and enable you. And as a leader, I don't know all of the answers. Perhaps I have a vision of where I'm trying to get to. And you have a part to play in helping us navigate our way through this journey of transformation. So it's all about making it personal, with people at the heart of what we do. So that would be my first thing. The second thing, you know, ideally is to kind of do it once and get it right. 
you know, you only get one shot at getting it right, especially if it's That's a big really transition. interesting. I haven't heard that for a long time. And I've never, I rarely hear it in relation to people. You hear it a lot in terms of customer, product, quality, but actually you're right. Yeah. Because people, they very quickly get cynical, don't they? Yes. Because of course, if they, it, it's kind of that um, positive first statement, positive first response, isn't it? If that's not something that I can connect with, what's in it for me and why should I care? If you mm. turned me off immediately, then you've got a long battle to actually get people back on track with that, you know, whether that be your employees or your customers. And I think that really means as well that there's going to be things that you might want to try that you don't have 100% confidence is going to work because otherwise, you know, if you're not failing, you're not innovating, are you? But I think it means fail fast, pilot, experiment, um, involve, it doesn't mean that it all has to be perfect, but it no. does mean that you need to try things out in a in a very kind of agile way. Yeah, and it's it's kind of a holistic thing, isn't it? You know, these programs that we're talking about are generally big, big transformation programs made up of multi-layers of mm. stuff. And it might be that I we change direction, we change tack because we listen and we respond to what's going on, you know, and therefore we're learning. But it doesn't mean to say, right, right, we're going to stop that because it's completely failed and we're going to catch our breath and then start again from a different angle, which can often be the case or sometimes mm. be the case, isn't it? And I've got to feel as if at least we're going in the right direction of progress. And you can take you know, some meanderings there, but you know, this kind of jerky stuff of we start and we stop and then we start again from the beginning is not healthy and it's not kind of conducive for anybody. And uh, so that would be my second. My final thing is that you have got to embrace disruption. You know, we're changing things, so you can't expect everybody to be euphoric about it and kind of think, <laughs> hey, this is great. You know, Because often as leaders in a business, you've spent a few months, perhaps even longer, planning, thinking about it, challenging each other. And then you go off and go, ta-da, and expect the world just to say, yeah, that's great. I'm going to follow you. And, you know, and when you suddenly get kickback, whether that be from your employee base or your trade union community, you kind of think, oh, my goodness, this is all kind of going terribly wrong. When why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't people feel uncomfortable and why wouldn't there be disruption? Yeah. So we're complex emotional creatures who respond differently to change. So some will embrace it and think it's amazing. Why not? You should have been doing this quicker. Others will be really fearful in terms of what's this going to mean for me in my future. Others will be just, you know, in disagreement in terms of this is fundamentally wrong and I just want the things to be as they are, that status quo. So expect disrupt, you know, expect, certainly expect challenge, but embrace that disruption because you can also learn from it. It goes back to my point of doing it once, do it right. But, you know, you might kind of alter course on, on your way based on what people are saying to you. And I always love that sense of somebody challenging me. Yeah. But it doesn't mean to say that I'm always right in what I'm doing, but you know, at least I'm given the opportunity of somebody to have a debate about what's going on. But you've got to expect I think it. also one of the things that we advocate is if you've got a bunch of people, it doesn't matter how, you know, obviously it's, if it's the vast majority, you might need to rethink this strategy. But let's say you've got a, a small hardcore who are really anti what you're doing. I personally would, would say, don't worry about them to begin with. 
focus on the ones that are open, who are curious, who are interested. I mean, we've even said to to some some clients, you know, leaders who perhaps were very resistant, we'd say, "Oh, you're not ready for this yet." You know, we're we're not including you because I think very often we spend so long trying to persuade the biggest resistors. And actually, it could be that they're just never going to embrace this. So focus on the way where the energy is, because otherwise it just becomes you dilute, you compromise, you delay what you're going to do. And they might never come on board. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I was at a um, higher education conference last week listening to a case study from a university kind of advocating to people listening was don't waste a disproportionate amount of time trying to convince your naysayers because there'll be some people who you can, you can never convince no how much time and effort you do. And, and I think the more you can out. say to them, it's all right, it doesn't affect you. You know, I mean, I appreciate you can't always do that, but sometimes you can because of phasing or because actually it could be that they're a particular area that you could isolate. And I think the the more that you can make it not mandatory, treat them as grown ups. Ultimately, it's about opting in. But but people are smart and they see that if the ones who are adopting it are getting the praise, who are getting the recognition, they soon will switch. Um, but not to waste too much energy trying to persuade them. Do you think that there are particular lessons around change when you work in the public sector that are perhaps different to the commercial world? Well, probably the biggest area, certainly in local government and some parts of health and central government, is that we are working with politicians. Mm. So, of course, you're going to be driven by a political mandate, which you may or may not agree with. And that, however, is secondary because you're employed by that political organisation to drive forward change. And they've been voted in. So and they've been voted in. You know, so you're delivering against their manifesto, and that's part of the deal if you join yeah. that space. Uh, if you don't like it, then you know, don't be part of it and go somewhere else. But you've got to be able to learn to, to work within that. How you do it, of course, is a different matter. You know, what you're doing is one thing, but it's definitely a different landscape. And some people find that very difficult, especially if you're kind of crossing over from commercial sector into to local yeah. government and, and central government. So, but, you know, I never found politicians to be the big challenge for me. It was the officers who were more of a challenge. <laughs> yeah? Because we're dealing as ever with ego. And yeah. transformation is all about letting go, looking to create something fresh and new. You know, I talk about you know, that partnership with East Sussex, Surrey and Brighton and Hove. What we were seeking to do was create a fourth way, you know, the best of what the three brought, creating something different, bigger, better probably, but getting those organisations to really let go. Gosh, that's just hard work, isn't it? Because everyone's happy to let go, providing it's not of my stuff. Yeah, exactly. You can let go of yours, Lucy, but Lethem's keeping his. Yeah, exactly. You know, you'd kind of go, I completely buy into this. I get this intellectually. And then it's what you mean I have to change. Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't realize that. Yeah. And I think the more, as long as we recognize that any change involves loss, it could be a loss of ego, a loss of status, it could be a loss of control, it could be a loss of a habit. Doesn't mean to say that it's it's painful, but it will involve some loss. Yes. And let's just we have to acknowledge that. 
And yeah. anybody going into a change program who thinks that they're not going to lose something, you know, maybe what they gain is so much better, but there's going to be there's going to be some loss in, involved. And I think we're not perhaps as upfront about that. Whilst we're painting the sunny uplands, we're perhaps not as honest about yeah. loss. And that goes back to my point of embracing disruption or, you know, you, it's going to happen because at some point, even as a leader, you think, you know, I've got to lose the fact that I thought we were doing this and now I'm doing that. I've got to be prepared to release and let go and just say, okay, I listen. I'm hearing what you're saying. We're going to do something slightly differently. And I've got to rise above that. And that's quite challenging, isn't it? But as human beings, we... It's really difficult. Yeah. It's really difficult, particularly if we've been the creators and the architects of what's now going to be changed. Yes. Because it's just, you know, it's just human nature, isn't it, to be protective yes. of things that we've spent a long yeah. time doing. And the other thing that, um, but yeah, this also applies in the commercial sector, but probably the volume might be slightly higher in public sector as, you know, it's a heavily union-based organisation. You know, I... I'm a big believer in trade union movement. So I always embraced that. And of course, part of my role as an HR director was therefore to be prepared for the fact that they might not always agree with the fact that we were changing. Um, but, you know, they have a role to play and I've got to respect that. And I think, you know, you can navigate a route through if there's mutual respect. I think there are different types of unions, aren't there? And, and, and different personality types within un, unions as well. And, you know, like you, I've worked with unions most of my professional career. And, and I think, you know, there are there are some union leaders that were an absolute, yeah, I wouldn't say a joy, that's probably pushing it. But in terms of adding value, challenging in really effective ways, but also looking for solutions and mm. and you know, I think what I always found hard was perhaps the unions that were just anti, didn't whatever it was, it was just anti, um, yes. and and I found that difficult. Yeah, and that's you know I also play back to them. That's not serving their membership the best. You know, uh, they have a voice and they they do deserve to be listened to and given the space. However, that you know. Like any other part of the business, if you're blocking purely for the sake of blocking, that is not helpful. And, you know, you've also got to call that out when it happens. But, you know, I work 30 years in local government with many trade unions. You know, that last project I described with the three councils, you know, we had over 40 different trade union feeders into it, you know, because you've got the same union, but represented in three councils, therefore they're all wanting their voice. That takes a lot of time, effort and energy to kind of make sure they all feel part of the community and loved and respected. Yeah. And, you know, ignore that at your peril, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a great note to end on. Um, Lethem, thank you so much. Um, it's been great talking about change with you. I know, you know, you and I have had many conversations about this. No doubt we'll have many more over many more lunches. But for now, thanks so much for joining us and uh, we'll speak soon. Great. Thank you, Lucy. Bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more resources to help you change HR, check out the Disruptive HR Club at www disruptivehr.club.